0: This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. Getting ready for a vacation? Don't forget to make sure you have the perfect summer audiobook downloaded and ready to go. Listen while you travel to your destination, or press play while you unpack or explore the sites. Elle Kennedy's The Summer Girl, the third book in her blockbuster, well-loved Avalon Bay series, would be the perfect getaway companion. The audiobook is read by caitlin elizabeth and teddy hamilton who voice college student cassie back home for the summer in avalon bay and her friend or could he be something more tate start listening to the summer girl by l kennedy now wherever audiobooks are sold
1: hello and welcome to a bookish home i'm your host librarian and writer laura Zaro Kopinski. And today I'm so happy to have author Fiona Davis back on to discuss her thrilling new novel, The Spectacular, which transports us back to 1950s Manhattan and glamorous Radio City Music Hall with a talented young Rockette and a mysterious bomber terrorizing New York City. Fiona Davis is the New York Times bestselling author of several novels, including The Dollhouse, The Address, The Masterpiece, The Chelsea Girls, The Lions of Fifth Avenue, and The Magnolia Palace. She lives in New York City and is a graduate of the Columbia Journalism School. New York Times bestselling author Christina McMorris says of The Spectacular, Fiona Davis once again shines while spotlighting the fascinating yet lesser known history of a New York City landmark. A propulsive novel packed with mystery, thrills, and long buried secrets, The Spectacular is a unique spellbinding read not to be missed. Fiona, it's so nice to have you on the podcast again. I just love the spectacular and um, just congratulations on this new book. Oh, thank you. It's
2: so nice to be back. I really appreciate this.
1: Yes, I always, um, I so look forward to when I see sort of what your next topic is going to be. I love how you pick a different New York City landmark each time to explore at a, at a period in the past. And I was really eager to read this book and get to learn more about Radio City and the Rockettes. I thought that was also intriguing. And the 1950s period was fun to read about as well. And I read that you had been contacted by a former Rockette and that that was sort of the impetus for this book. I'd love to hear a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, I have to say, I was thinking just recently, a number of readers have given me ideas for the books. Um, so it's a real give and take to be honest. And, um, and yeah, so I got an email from my author website right as I was starting to think about what to write next. And it said, you know, I'm in my eighties, I'm a former Rockette. And if you want to know all about the secret places of radio city music hall, you should call me. And of course I could not resist. So I I called (laughs) her her name was Sandy and she was just lovely. And she had so many memories to share as well as a whole stack of archival material, um, which, of course, was really helpful in terms of the research. And we we had a great talk. It turns out she danced there in the late 50s to early 60s. She was 19 at the time. She met her husband, who ran the lighting board at Radio City. He was also 19. They've been married ever since. And yeah. it was just a, a great time. And from there, I kind of connected with other rockets, and slowly built up enough research that I felt that I could write a book about it.
1: That's so cool. And I love that it just came from a reader reaching out. Well, I guess I'll, I'll back up to you a little bit so you can tell readers more about the premise. But as you were researching and exploring, how did you kind of come to the idea of this suspenseful mystery side of things with the bomber? And also, I really liked reading about this character trying to sort of navigate life choices and independence mm-hmm. in, in the 50s. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about the premise, how you decided to take that direction with the story once you've done the research.
2: Yeah, sure. So, you know, the story is basically the the point of view of a character named Marion, who's a, a young dancer, dance teacher. And, um, and she, she wants to be a raquette. Her father is very opposed to that but she auditions and gets the job and really goes against her father's wishes. Um, and so she's dealing with that. And it's the 1950s where women were supposed to be you know, nurses or secretaries or wives. And so by being a dancer on this iconic stage, it's just too much for her father to handle. Um, but then at the same time, as I was doing my research, I learned that In the 1940s and 50s, there was this guy they called the Mad Bomber who was terrorizing New York by setting pipe bombs in iconic New York City buildings like, um, you know, the New York Public Library or Grand Central or Penn Station. It turns out he set two bombs off at Radio City Music Hall. And in total, he set, yeah, he set 33 bombs and um, injured 15 people, uh, some very seriously. And this happened for 16 years and yet I'd never heard of it, which is crazy when I've lived in New York for over 30 years. Um, and I just thought, well, that's an interesting element to possibly fold into the story, because I'd love to find something that's rooted in the actual history to kind of anchor the story. And I thought that would work. And then, you know, just I've written, I think this is the sixth, the eighth book. <laughs> and and so I wanted, maybe the seventh, I wanted to. Um, just try something new and see if I could meld. It, it's a mix of romance. It's a mix of mystery. It's There's some thriller aspects to it. And to just kind of play with that story and see where it would take me.
1: Yeah. I love how that all was woven together. Sort of I'm on the edge of my seat reading, but I'm also so invested in this character and really drawn into the setting and her world. Um, I, I just really thought it was such a great reading experience. And as you were researching the Rockettes and the, I guess, Marion's kind of headspace that she would be in during this time, I'm curious how you maybe found the voice of this woman in the 1950s as she is struggling with these big career decisions and life decisions. Was it interviews with the Rockettes that helped you? Was it different like archival material, what helped you kind of feel like you were really tapping in to that perspective?
2: Yeah, it was definitely the research help, but the main thing was learning about this woman, um, Vera Ellen was her name, she was a movie star and she auditioned for the Rockettes and got in and she just never quite fit in. You know, if, if, if Russell Markert was the big choreographer, director and the founder of the Rockettes, a very really beloved figure, and so if he wanted a kick that was shoulder height, hers would be eye height. Or if he wanted her arms to be up here, they would you know, be even more so. And she just had this really hard time fitting into the precision that's required to be a Rockette. And it, I thought, well, that's fascinating. And she eventually, she quit before she was fired and went on to a fantastic film career. Um, she was in White Christmas and a number of movies. But I just thought how interesting to be a Rockette who can't quite pull it back enough to be to, to, because the troop, the whole point of the troop is that they, it's like there's one, one organism kicking or dancing or moving. It's so precise. And so that gave me the idea of this woman who, you know, the question in the book is really, you know, when do you kind of pull back your own creativity or individuality for the good of the greater whole whether it's in a, with the Rockettes or working for a corporation, you know, when do you have to speak up and, and be who you are? And then when do you push that back in order to make the organism work as a whole? And and so that's really, she really was inspired by Vera Ellen. But then, you know, just talking to Rockettes and, and hearing some great stories about what it was like and just how grueling the schedule was, that they, you know, Rockette Radio City at that time was a movie house. And in between movies, you had the stage show, which the Rockettes were for some of the featured artists in it, along with a, a choral ensemble and a ballet corps. <laughs> and so whatever <laughs> theme the movie was, say it was a John Wayne movie, then everything would be like a cowboy theme. So they'd be wearing cowboy costumes and have guns on holsters, little fake guns. And they performed four shows a day. And they would do that for three or four weeks straight before they'd get a week off and yeah, that was, was crazy yeah. to
1: read about I'm like oh my gosh, how are you even yeah moving
2: <laughs> exactly I mean and so there was a dormitory um there for if they needed to sleep over there was a medical station like in radio city there was this entire in in um you know in the music hall there was this entire city um to to make sure they were okay there was a a lounge and a a cafeteria and a private movie screening, you know, studio and and all these things because you know they were working so hard and they the they would do around 600 kicks per day.
1: Wow. <laughs> and it sounded really very very selective. Could you talk a little bit about the grueling uh what would you call it? Like the requirements, yeah. Yeah, I guess requirements and just Auditioning, I, auditioning. What right.
2: I'm looking for. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was, it was really tough. You had the first thing you were checked was your height because depending on when it was, you're you had to be a certain height. Um, for example, when today you have to be between five five and five ten and a half, and if you're not that, you are just sent out the door. And and then you know you'd have these, you'd have to learn something very quickly, and it it would be a mix. You'd have to do jazz tap. Um, and ballet back then in order to audition. And then they'd put together these, uh, you know, choreography and you'd have to do it quickly. And then they, if you made a callback, you'd come back, you'd have to remember it and do it again because it was just so fast and furious the way that the Rockettes work. And sometimes you were, you know, in one position and sometimes you were in another one and you had to know how to fulfill every role pretty much. And, um, And so, yeah, it was really, really tough. But if you got in, it meant that you you know, you know, got paid in the 50s. It was about $70 a week, which was a lot. And you were independent. You were making your own money. You were dancing on stage. And it was a real sisterhood. Every Rockette I spoke with just raved about how close they all were because everybody was just so thrilled to be there. There wasn't any kind of backstabbing or backbiting or anything like that. They were just... And the alumni group is very strong and very solid because you know, they they were they were sisters. One Raquette talked about her favorite memory was walking down Fifth Avenue in the middle of the night, in the middle of the street, arm in arm with her fellow Raquettes and singing at the top of their lungs. You know, it was just this sense of independence and freedom. And so I wanted my character, Marion, to really have that.
1: Well, that was gonna be one of my other questions because she gets this freedom also by moving out of her father's house and into the rehearsal club, which is like a boarding house for women trying to pursue things in the arts. And I wondered if that was based on a real place.
2: Yeah, the rehearsal club really existed. In fact, it, it is in a different form today still going on. And it was a boarding house for women in the performing arts that was on 53rd street. So it was kind of right around the corner from radio city. And if you ever see, seen the movie stage door with um, ginger Robert Ginger Rogers and Katharine Hepburn. That was based on the rehearsal club. And it you had to, if you were there, there were a number of rules. Um, you, there was no smoking, no alcohol, no boys beyond the parlor. There was a curfew at midnight. You had to be between 18 and 25 and neither married nor divorced. And you had to be pursuing a career on the stage in some way by taking classes, auditioning or performing. And you got room and board And, you know, some of the famous people who who lived there for a time included Carol Burnett, Diane Keaton, Sandy Duncan, Blythe Danner. Yeah. Can you imagine living there with Carol Burnett? I mean, how much would that be? And so it was just this really kind of crazy, chaotic, wonderful, safe place for these women to live. And so I had to include it once I learned that that's where a number of Rockettes stayed. I figured that would be a great extra location in the book.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. Well, in terms of the writing, was this sort of a straightforward book for you where um, it came relatively smoothly once you started drafting or were there a lot of twists and turns along the way or maybe things that were in an early draft that we'd be surprised like the early draft was so different from what we see now?
2: The only thing, the only main thing that changed was that I. It's mainly in one timeline. It's mainly in 1956 as they're trying to. The police are on the hunt for this mad bomber, and um, our Ra- Raquette for very personal reasons gets drawn into the the search, and um, and the the. So it's mainly in 56, but there are a few chapters that are the Raquette looking back on her life, and early on she was much older. I think she was in her 80s. But after talking to my editor and and my agent and having them read it, we realized she needed to be more in her 50s. And so that changed. So her her kind of voice and and who she was in those few chapters that are set in the modern timeline, um, that changed. But that was a pretty minor one considering pretty much everything else stayed the same.
1: Did you have a sense right away that, that modern timeline was going to be a smaller piece or had you at one point that maybe like it would be a full dual timeline.
2: You know, usually with the dual timelines that I do, I have two separate characters and for this, I, I wanted it to really be this one woman's story. And so I figured having her kind of look back on her life and, and and it, it all kind of comes together at the end. So the two stories in a way merge. Um, but I, I didn't. I thought having two rockets in two different time periods, it would just be a lot of the same thing, and more fun mm. to keep it in one timeline and to challenge myself with this kind of this hump for the mad bomber thriller aspect to it. You know, it's still historical fiction. It's still you know a mystery, which is what my initial books are like. But then there's just this fun added element that's based on this amazing true story about you know, one of the fun things about the mad bomber was that he was caught by using criminal profiling for the very first time. And before then oh, so that, it.
1: Oh, I won't give anything away, but that's really interesting <laughs> to hear. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That this, this, you know, this guy, his name was James Brussel, and he um, was a psychiatrist and the police came to him just desperate for help. And he studied the letters of the mad bomber and came up with a profile that was so specific to the point where he said, "When you catch him, he'll be wearing a double-breasted suit, and it will be buttoned." Wow! So I won't give anything away, but um, criminal profile yeah. was born, and and so that was just really fun to include because it was just so remarkable. I mean, it, it's almost um, stranger than fiction the way that worked
1: out. Yeah. Well, I'm curious since you were you were talking about kind of diving into the thriller side of things and um, really making things very suspenseful. Is there anything that helped you as you were trying to kind of go in this direction? Yeah. You know, I
2: love reading kind of thrillers, you know, I, I usually bounce back between historical fiction, mystery, and thrillers. And, um, and so reading those books was very helpful because you, you, you kind of get a sense of how to set it up and, and what has to happen next. And, you know, pulling the rug out from under your heroine's feet every so often. Um, and so like doing a chase scene was just a lot of fun. And that's also from just watching things, you know, some of the shows I like to watch on Netflix or that kind of show. And so yeah. it, it was just kind of a fun challenge for me um, just to do something a little different.
1: Yeah. Well, I was also thinking, so, you know, the book has just come out while we're recording. And so I would imagine you're in a little bit of book promotion mode this (laughs) summer. And so that got me thinking sort of about the seasons of your writing year a little bit. Do you sort of have months where you're researching and then these are the months where you sort of mark out like okay this is what I need to make sure I have like my full draft this is when I'm revising now I'm in promotion mode like is your writing year seasonal
2: yes that's such a great way of looking at it actually I hadn't thought of it like that but it definitely is so right now I'm you're in full you know promotion mode and hopefully not annoying too many people on social media with posts <laughs> hey, please find my book um but it's really fun because you get to go out and, you know, there's a great tour where I get to meet readers in person and talk about the book and answer questions and, you know, who knows, maybe get inspiration for the next book. Um, and, and so it's really fun. But at the same time, my, my contract right now is I'm writing about a book every year and a half. And so that means there's not a whole lot of downtime. So, you know, I've already done the research for the next book. I'm in the middle of writing the first draft and I have to keep that going through all the promotion in order to stay on schedule. Mm-hmm. However, once, once the late summer hits, things will calm down. The fall will pick up a little more in terms of promotion. Um, Cause there's already a lot of um, call for, you know, doing talks and luncheons and which is great fun, but I'll by then things will be a little calmer. And so I'll be really able to focus on the second draft and the third draft of the next book. Um, because it is it's it's a little strange because you're bouncing back and forth between two very different stories and trying to remember who's who and which story, and make sure you, you keep it straight. Um, right. yeah, so so it all depends. Usually, the winters are a little calmer, um, but more more helpful in terms of the writing. And then spring and fall can be more promotion and and a little more travel.
1: Do you have ways that you sort of map out where you need to be by different points in the year for each project, or are you sort of holding all of that in your head?
2: No, I I, have, I use sticky notes on the on my on my computer, and, it, and I have <laughs> like okay, you, September you need the first draft over to you know your agent, and then October it'll be second, you know, more drafting. And then I have I have definite dates down that I have to follow in order to hit it. And there's a little buffer in there. But it keeps me working. Um, You know, because I I usually in the first draft, which is where I am with the next book, I try and write about uh, 1100 words a day, four days a week, and then one day a week is editing that chapter. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just chunk it out that way, and it's amazing, you know. If you just keep on doing that, by the end of four months, you have a book, whether you like it or not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's cool. I always love to hear people's systems for sort of keeping it all organized and staying accountable. Do yeah. you have any favorite writing resources or tools that you use?
2: Yeah, I love Scrivener. It's a great program for if you have a if you're working on a project with a lot of research. It's wonderful because it keeps everything in one place. So it's a split screen and I can have my manuscript on the top. And then if I need to look at something like a, a, you know, an outfit that someone's wearing or watch a video of Rockettes auditioning, I can just click the bottom part and within one click have it right there. And that's so helpful. It keeps everything very organized. And also if you need to switch around um, sections or chapters, it's very easy to do. It's not like a Word document where you have to chunk out something and move it into another chunk. It's just very, very well laid out. And it's a little bit of a learning curve to get to know, but I don't use all the bells and whistles. I use the pretty basic, um, you know, things that are, that are there. And it it does the trick. It's really wonderful. And I I don't think I could write the way I do without Scrivener, just because of there's so much research that is connected to every book.
1: I find Scrivener really helpful too, although it's on my list to like watch more tutorials <laughs> and get more tips. Cause I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface, but um, yeah. I, I'm curious from the research side of things, um, cause maybe other aspiring historical fiction writers struggle with this. I know it's something I struggle with just keeping research organized. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'll read a book and then I've got notes, here or things underlined there. Mm-hmm. I, heard on, I heard on a podcast recently about somebody who uses like a tablet that makes it so the notes are on your computer and searchable. What, what do you do to keep the research organized and, and accessible? You know what I try to do is I
2: try to get ebooks um, in terms of research because what I can do is I can highlight the sections that I am interested in And then I can make a collection of the books that are all used for that same project um, within the library. And then I can just go into the library if I'm like, Oh, where did I, where was that? And I can just search through, I could, you know, I'll I'll think, okay, it must be that book. And then I can just do a search and find what I need right away versus scrolling through and finding things that you've highlighted. Um, Some of the books I use are not on ebook. And so I do have a huge stack of things that do have highlight in them that I would have to go through manually but I, I really find a you know, a, an iPad and an ebook is just so much easier and so much quicker. You could also just look at all the highlights and just scroll through those to find what, you, what you're looking for. And it just saves some time.
1: That's so smart. I love that idea. Well, I do also love to hear what um, authors are reading for fun. Are there any books that you'd want to recommend?
2: Yeah. Oh, there's so many. Um, there's one I loved from last year called... Um, um, the Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum, and it's a wonderful book. It's a mystery, and it's about a black classical musician whose very valuable violin goes gets stolen, and he has to track it down. And it's just a, a really original point of view. Um, it's he writes about music in a way that's just so compelling, and it's a really great. There's a lot of tension, and and. Just amazing. I loved it. Um, and then Wendy Walker has a book, um, "What Remains," uh, that's just a, a great thriller. And again, you know, reading someone like like Wendy is where you learn so much because it's it's such a, a seamless story, and you're you're kept on the edge of your seat the whole time, which is is a hard thing to do. And then I also read a, a wonderful book called "A Heart That Works" by Rob Delaney. He's a comedian, and he lost his son. Um, to a, a brain tumor and he writes about the it's about a year that the his son was sick when he and his wife were living in london and i loved him from the the show oh
1: he was catastrophe right uh, yeah he's, Oh, i love that show i loved him he's so funny
2: and of course it's a heartbreaking story but he he just captures loss in a way that is um very moving and very real and I thought that was just such a, he has a way of, he's, he writes exactly the way he speaks. And that's a hard thing to do. You know, yeah. his voice is right there on the page. And it's a, a beautiful book and a real tribute to his lost son.
1: Oh, I'll have to check that one out. I'll definitely link to all of those. And yeah, I just, I felt for him so much, especially you you sort of feel like you know him as a father, from watching Catastrophe, even though it's like a very yeah. funny kind yeah. of snarky show, but um, right. Yeah, I just felt for him so much when that happened. So yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, and there's um, also, there's oh, sorry, one, one I forgot to, to add
2: is um Nicola Harrison has a book out called Hotel Laguna, and it's a yes. wonderful beach read and historical fiction. It's got that perfect mix, and it's a, a really fun fun book.
1: Yes, I um, uh, Macmillan Audio has become a sponsor on the podcast, and one of the books at um there'll be an ad for the summer it's for Hotel Laguna so I got to take a little sneak peek and that one is really a treat so um yeah listeners should definitely check that one out or maybe read it on audio well I would love to hear if I know you said that you're kind of in the middle of drafting a next project are you able to share about the next book
0: yeah
2: sure so the next book is going to take place at the Met Museum here in New York Mm. And it um, involves a it involved a trip to Egypt for me in April, just to do some research, because it's oh, partly, wow. set, yeah, it's set in the Egyptian wing um, from the point of view of a curator. And then it's also set from the point of view of an assistant to the Met Gala, which is of course the party of the year, very glamorous. Um, and so it's this really mix of, of glamor and mummies, which I think is <laughs> gonna be
1: fun. <laughs> That's so cool. Could you tell us more about your trip to Egypt for that book? That sounds amazing.
2: Yeah, sure. So my character, um, it is a little more of a dual timeline where my character is there in the nineteen thirties and then the other part of the book takes place in the nineteen seventies. And um, so I, I needed, you know, Egypt is very specific and I read books on famous archaeologists and learned a lot, but I thought, you know, this is a one one in a once in a lifetime chance. And I should go. So um, we we got on a tour and, and got this marvelous trip where we saw the pyramids. We went to Cairo. We took a boat down the Nile.
1: And oh, wow. And you're,
2: you're cruising down the Nile and there's, you know, water buffalo standing there on the shore, just like they were a thousand years ago or three thousand years ago. And just the sense of history is incredible. So, yeah. So hopefully that will translate into the book. It was really a, a wonderful trip.
1: That sounds amazing. And I just want to ask for that because I always think it's such a cool aspect of writing um, books set in very particular locations and things. Are there things you did to really like soak up um, the setting on that Egypt trip? I'm assuming like taking lots of photos and notes, but anything that comes to mind? Yeah, yeah. You know, it was really just
2: definitely taking photos and and just keeping a diary and writing down what it felt like right in that moment and what was striking me. And because I think for the character, that's what you need is you need that in the moment. You know, what's it like with the sun and the sand in the air when the sun sets? It's everything kind of turns yellow because there's so much sand in the air, you know, and there's we rarely saw a blue sky. If everything has this kind of interesting it's like you're on mars almost um, and and so trying to get those very specifics down was was my goal and we'll we'll see how that goes but it was just in, it was just incredible i mean the the yeah. sense of history just blew me away
1: that's so cool i can't wait, wait to read the next book and um in the meantime i think listeners are going to really enjoy the spectacular I think it's such a great book to um, pick up and read this summer. You won't be able to put it down as you're, you know, sitting by the pool. And I just love how you capture the New York of the 50s. I think that's so fun to read about. And i love seeing the, the world of the Rockettes. I think other people will too. So thank you so much for coming on. And best of luck with book promotion this summer and the draft of your next novel. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having me on. And thanks for the great questions. This has been fun.
0: For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.